Welcome to the Dwellings Podcast. We're glad you tuned in. Enjoy this message by Pastor Gunnar. We will see answers today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right, have a seat. Thank you, worship team. Can we just thank them this morning? We're so thankful for you guys. I'm, uh, man, I'm feeling it this morning. How about you? I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm ready to preach. Are you ready to listen? Y'all ready to shout me down a little bit? Help me out? I'm gonna, I want to play a game before we get started. Is that okay with everybody? Playing games in church? My son taught me this game. You ready for it? It's called, look at me now. Come on, let's play a game. It's called, look at the preacher. You lose. That's pretty good. I told you to do it. Don't look at the preacher. Let me try it again. Don't look at the preacher. You lose. See, I'm not even smart enough to do this game right. <sighs> okay, let's just move on. College Sunday dinner is happening next Sunday after service. If you're the college age uh, person around here, then that is for you. You can go on the dwellingchurch.org, click on that events tab so we know you're coming, so we have enough food for you, okay? Dan, don't try to sneak into that. All right. You are not in college. All right. Today we're starting a brand new series called Confessions. Everybody say Confessions. Now, we're going to have you line up and come confess your sins in front of everybody. That's not what this is about. All right. Confessions is about what we believe and why it matters. Um, there is... Uh, there's this thing called the Apostles' Creed, and depending on where, how you grew up in church, some of you said it every week, and some of you is like, the Apostles' what? You thought a creed was a band from the 90s, <laughs> right? Isn't that a band? I don't know. It's been a while. It's been a while. Uh, Apostles' Creed is one of the earliest statements of faith that articulates what the church believes about God and how we relate to God. And I'm just going to read it this morning. I think we've lost some of the traditions of the faith that are actually really, really valuable. And I think this is one of them. This is beautiful. It's, it's worth memorizing. I believe in God, the Father, almighty creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, that is the true Christian church of all times and places. That means like the Roman Catholic, yeah, just means the whole thing. How many know the church was here before our denominations were here? Just saying. All right, so the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Can we say amen to that? That's what we believe. Now, there's a whole lot of secondary stuff going on that we divide over and fuss over and stuff like that, but these are the basics. This is what we believe. This is our confession. This is what we've based everything in our lives on. This is, this is what we believe and we actually live out. This defines our life. It marks our life. And so during this series, we're going to be diving into this creed. 
and in this confession of our faith, and we've divided into eight parts. So for the next eight weeks, we're going to dig into this, uh, these statements, these questions, and exploring these questions about our faith, like who is God? I got the easy one today, right? How do you even preach about that? Who is Jesus is happening next week? Who is the Holy Spirit? What is the church? Why the resurrection? Why is the resurrection so important? What about the judgment? What about heaven and hell? Has it been a while since you heard a message on heaven and hell? In seven weeks or so, you'll hear that. And then it's the fun one that I got stuck with. What about the end times? <laughs> Yay! So excited. It's going to be fun. If you've got, have you had questions about any of those? Have you had questions about any? Oh, y'all know it? Oh, y'all need to be up here. If you don't have questions, this is what we're exploring. And it may be that we actually have more questions at the end of it than we do answers. And that's okay too, because we're in a pursuit of Jesus and his face. And sometimes the mystery actually pulls us in. It pulls us close. Don't be afraid of mystery. Religion likes to have really neat boxes and everything figured out. And walking in the kingdom, you might not be able to figure everything out. and might have to walk this walk in mystery. And that's okay because you see parts and things about God and parts of his nature that you'd never see without mystery. Because you'd never go looking for him. That's good. I know I said it, but I can say that. That's good. So who is God? Who is God? My story is this. I was raised in a church environment. How many church kids we got? Vacation Bible school, the whole nine yards. Y'all eating crackers and Kool-Aid and peanut butter cookies. Those cookies that just like dry your mouth out. If you don't know what we're talking about, you want a church kid. Uh, Adam Hooper, our worship creative pastor, his Sunday school teacher brought potato chips and chocolate chip cookies. I think if I'm... I'm like, what kind of church did you go to? That was like an upgrade. And uh, I, I, I had a foundational understanding of God from a young age. And I'm so thankful for that. I, I don't remember when I thought, is there a God? I just knew there was. Because I was raised in that environment. I didn't have a question about how did the earth get here? How were the trees here? How did the, where did the animals come from? What if, how did I get here? I just knew. Because I'd been told God created everything. God is the creator. He made you. Some, some faithful kids team person looked me in the eyes when I was little and said, God made you. My mama, my grandmama, my granddaddy. God made you. God loves you. Y'all, that's my foundation. And I am grateful for it. Can I just pause a minute and say, as you look back over your church history and stuff, there might be some pain in that. There might be some bad stuff in your church history. But I'm telling you, you got a foundation that might have been some things built on it that might not look a whole lot Jesus. But you got a foundation and be grateful for it. If you can't find anything that, to be grateful for, be grateful that you know God and that you know Jesus. At some point, you heard the gospel and you believed in him. If you know him today, be thankful for that. I remember one of my earliest memories of understanding or hearing the gospel was 
I don't know how old I was, but I was old enough to be sitting on my grandfather's lap. And my, my Paul Acreage showed me, I remember it like it, I mean, like it was yesterday. And he's showing me where the nails went into Jesus' hands and feet. And he's describing what Jesus did for me. And I remember as a, as a tiny kid, I remember my Paul saying, he loves you and he died for you. And even as I say that, I can remember, even though I didn't understand all that he was saying, I remember the weightiness of what he was telling me. And almost probably what I didn't recognize, the presence of God on my life at that young of an age, hearing the gospel and thinking, why would he do that for me? Oh, I'm special. <laughs> like, you know, like as a kid, you're like, God loves me. And, and, and I think the longer that we walk this walk, sometimes when we get more and more churchy, sometimes we forget the simplicity of the gospel. God loves me. And he gave himself for me. It's simple. I treasure that I was raised that way. I treasure that. But there are scores of people, and increasingly so, that don't have that story. Maybe you don't have that story in here today. I'm telling you, at this stage in history, as the church, when we think about what discipleship looks like, when we think about what evangelism looks like, we're going to have to not, we've got a different starting place than we ever have in the United States. We've just kind of supposed that people know this, and so we can start from here. But we're at the point in history, which I believe we're already in a post-Christian era, in our nation. If you don't like that, I don't know what to tell you. It's pretty obvious. And so like we've got to start actually here. And we've actually got to help build a foundation in order for people to actually receive the good news of Jesus. And so some of these things like I remember, and this has been going on a while. I remember being in a small town in the Bible Belt as a youth pastor, just starting out in ministry and saying, hey, you know, remember when Moses came up with the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai? And they're like, what? They never heard the story. They didn't know about Jonah. They didn't know the Old Testament stories. And that's in the Bible Belt, southern United States, where everybody just knows Jesus, you know. Not really, but, we, but it's cultural, at least. I'm saying we're in a place in history, whether we like it or not, that we can't, we don't have the same starting place as we always have. We are actually going to have to back up. And if you're a parent in this room, it's our, it's our privilege, but it's also our duty to raise these kids up knowing the word. And I'm thankful for our kids team back here, the serving right now, just getting the word into our children. But we have to start at a place of just foundational. And so the best place to look is the word of God. It is the revelation of who he is. We don't have to guess about God. We don't have to, um, we don't have to believe what we've to been told about God. We actually have a, a, a source of revelation. It's called the Bible. And all throughout scripture, it gives us this picture of a God that we can know. And that we can know intimately and personally. And I want to talk about that God this morning. And I'm going to throw out a lot of scriptures. I told Nate this morning. He's like, how many? You just got one scripture? I was like, yeah, I got a bunch. 
but your finger will be on fire by the time the message is over. So I'm going to fly through these attributes of God. This is a great study to do sometime on your own. I'm just skimming the surface. The first thing I want to talk about is God is love. First John 4, 8 says God is love. It's his essence. It's his essence is love itself. And it's not a love that's like a, just a felt love that comes and goes. It's an unconditional, unwavering. It's the very foundation of his nature and his character. That's God. If you know, if you can just sum up God in one word, it'd be love. God is love. And out of that love flow his other attributes like compassion. Psalm 103, 13 describes God as a loving father has compassion for his children. He understands our weaknesses and he extends mercy. He's a provider like a good father would be. Philippians 4, 19, he, just, he, he, he supplies all of our needs. He supplies all of our needs, both physical, spiritual. He is the ultimate source of our sustenance. He cares for us. Don't let it be just religious language today. I want you to feel that in the depths of your soul. He cares for you. He cares for you. He is a provider. Psalm 46, 1 talks about God being a refuge that we can run to for safety. When we're feeling overwhelmed, he's our refuge. He's like this strong tower, this strong castle with impenetrable walls that we can run into and find refuge and find safety and comfort. God is ever present. He's omnipresent. We talked about this a few weeks ago about God's presence being the essential presence of God is that he is everywhere. There is no place I can go where I can escape God's presence. He is ever present. Psalm 139 verses 7 through 10. He's always with us. He knows you from the inside out. Every single detail of your life he's intimately acquainted with. God is forgiving. Psalm 103, 12. God's forgiveness is complete. It's unconditional. In fact, the scripture says that he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. In the sea of forgetfulness. He's chosen. If your sins are washed in his cleansing Blood that he shed for you on the cross. God has chosen to forget that. He's chosen to forget all the times that you've rebelled against him. That you spit in his face. That you've sinned willfully. He's actually said, yeah, I know. But what I did for you covers all of that. And I'll just take another pause and just say, if you really understand the gospel... You won't run after sin and say, oh, it's covered by grace. If you really understand grace, it'll make you run to the feet of Jesus. And when you do mess up, because we all do, the first place I run, the first place I run is to his feet because I know who he is. He's merciful. He's full of grace. He's full of truth. He'll tell me, but it's always welcoming. God's forgiving. God is a friend, James 2, 23. I feel his presence. 
Isn't that interesting? When you start talking about who he is, he just comes to back it up. He's all over some of you guys. God is a friend, James 2.23. He desires a close, personal relationship with you. He's not a distant deity past Saturn somewhere. He's actually close. He's really close. And I, I love this. In the Old Testament, Moses was called a friend of God. Jesus told his disciples, um, I don't call you servants. I call you my friends. If the under the old covenant, you could be a friend of God. How much more now under the new covenant, when you're in Christ and he's in you, you're a friend of God. He's a friend to you. That's beautiful and undescribable that the God of the universe would consider you to be an, not just an acquaintance, but a dear friend. He said, you're my disciples if you obey my commands. Are you a friend to him? He's a friend. God is unchanging. Malachi 3.6, his character is unwavering. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not fickle like you and me. You always know what you're going to get. Now, he's surprising, and he's creative. And he'll rock your socks off sometimes. Like, oh, I did not expect that. But who he is will never change. He's just. Psalm 89, 14. His, his justice is perfect. He is, he is right. He's always right. And he's true in all of his ways. And he's going to always ensure that justice prevails. How many justice-minded people I got in the room? They're like, I just don't like that. That's not right. They should have to pay for that. You know, like, that's a sense of justice. And it's because you're made in the image of God that you have a sense of justice. He will have justice on all things that are wrong. Every wrong is going to be made right one day. And listen, his justice is not antithetical to his love. It's actually his love that is the foundation for justice. He is just and true in all his ways because he's a loving father. And he, can't, he says, I'm not going to let abuse slide under the rug. I'm not going to let what's, what does the evil of the world continue. There is going to be a reckoning one day. And he's going to make all things right. So you can look at two ways. You can look at God as a fiery judge, and he is. You would be right to see him that way. But he's a fiery judge because of the fire in his eyes is his love. And he, his judgment is against anything that hinders that love. What does sin do in our lives? It separates us from God. Parents in the room, I, we sometimes two or three in the morning, our phones will go off, Amber Alert. If you're that kid's parent, you are angry. You are, you are, you're doing everything in your power to get your kid back. This is the justice of God. It's his love. Do you understand? Are you following this? I want, you to, I want you to hold these truths in tension. 
because you can fall into any, either ditch on both sides of the road about who God is. He is just and he is a judge, but he is a loving father. And they're not antithetical because his love motivates his justice. God is holy. Psalm 6, I mean, uh, Isaiah 6, verse 3, he's holy. God's holiness is beyond measure. The word holy just means to be set apart. God is not in our category. He is not in the same category as you and me. There is no created thing that is in the same category as the creator. And he is holy and he is separate and he is different. And, and everything about that way of thinking uh, communicates distance. But yet he's close. I love the Old Testament imagery of the temple and the tabernacle. And there was separation. You couldn't. You were not allowed to enter into the Shekinah, the presence, the glory of God, because our sin would actually keep us from entry because there is no sin in him. There is no sin in the presence of God. And so a sinful person coming into the presence of God without a covering of mercy and grace would be obliterated it because it, you would cease to exist in his presence. That's why the gospel is such a big deal that Jesus came and he actually lived a sinless and perfect life and he gave his, himself on the cross for you, obliterating the divide between you and the Father. Have you forgotten how awesome the good news is? That now, through the blood of Jesus, you can enter into his presence. You could just walk right in because he's your father. And everything that can be done, needs to be done, has been done. See, religion says do, do, do. And the gospel says it's done. The last words of Jesus as he hung on the cross were, it is finished. To tell us die. It's paid in full. It's over. There's nothing more that can be done or needs to be done. I've done it all. Somebody needs to shout and praise God for this this morning. Like, thank you for the gospel. Thank you, Father, that you're holy. And because of your holiness, you came so that we could be reunited to you. Have you seen holiness that way before? There's no mixed motives with him. If he's pure, then his love is pure. If he's holy, it means his love is perfect. Some of y'all aren't getting this. If he's holy, his love is perfect. Have you seen holiness that way? When you think of God's holiness, do you think about his pure, undefiled love for you? Maybe we will, all right? God is sovereign. He's ruler. He's king. Do you know that when Jesus talked about, uh, when he preached, he had his gospel was the gospel of the kingdom. So we have a gospel of salvation that Jesus talked about in, at three in the morning to a guy named Nicodemus one time. But every other time he talked about the good news, he called it the good news of the kingdom. It's not about getting into heaven when we die. It's about getting heaven into us. 
It's about us entering the gate of mercy through the cross and what Jesus did. But there's a life on the other side of that door that we're invited to right now. If you're waiting until you, until you die to experience heaven, you're not living. It's possible right now. Jesus, we pray your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how he taught us to pray. What does that look like? What does that look like? He's a king. He's a sovereign ruler. He reigns over all creation. He has absolute authority over everything in the universe. And here's the crazy part. Is that when he got out of the grave, the last words before he ascended to the Father, he said, all authority has been given, given to me on heaven and on earth. Therefore, you go with that authority and make disciples of all nations. He's given it to you. If you're in him, if you're in this family, you have the authority of Jesus. That's why we can walk into any darkest place and with us just by nature of who we are in Christ, we're carrying him with us. And when we pray, the darkness has to flee. When we worship, the chains have to break. This is the truth. It's who we are. He is a sovereign king and He's given us his authority. Do we deserve it? Are you kidding me? Do you have to earn that? Do you have to live up to a certain standard before you have that? No, it's in Christ. It's been done. It's been done. God is wise. Romans 16, 20, 27. God's wisdom is infinite. His plans and purposes are beyond our understanding, yet they're always perfect. If you don't understand what God's doing in your life, you may or may not, but that doesn't mean he's not good. Yeah. He's always good, and he's wise. God is gracious, Ephesians 2, 8, and his grace is a free gift. We're saved by his grace through faith, not by our own, our own works that any of us should boast, but it's a gift. It's a gift. That's a good news. That's really good news. God's merciful. Psalm 145, 9. His mercy is boundless. He withholds punishment we deserve and extends his compassion. The Old Testament word is chesed. I'm going to give you permission to say something cool. Chesed. Say chesed. Say that. Now you speak Hebrew. You can tell. But it means unfailing, loving kindness. That's who he is. He's all-powerful. Jeremiah 32, 17. God is omnipotent, having limitless power to accomplish His purposes and fulfill His promises. That's who God is. All of these things. And that's who He's always been. And that's who He'll always be. And when a baby was born in Bethlehem one night, and the angels announced his birth. And he grew in, in favor with God and men. He grew in stature. And he became what John calls in his first chapter of his gospel. The word become flesh. Dwelling among us. We behold his glory. Glory is the only begotten. Full of grace and truth. This God became a demonstration. The Trinity is a really hard thing to understand. Yeah. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, 
three in one. Three separate and distinct persons, but yet one. There's no illustration for this that actually works. I've heard them all, and they all break down at some point. It's kind of beyond our understanding. But when Jesus came to the earth, he was fully man, fully God. And the perfect demonstration of our Heavenly Father. Someone has summed it up really nicely when they said, if you want to know what God is like, look no further than Jesus. And I won't jump into next week's message too much. But Jesus is God. Who is God? What's he like? Look at Jesus. How did he... How did he talk? How did he walk? How did he treat people? What did he do? What was his heart? Why did he come? It tells us everything we know, need to know about God. Jesus called him Father. We'd known him as Yahweh. The Lord of hosts. Jesus says, Abba, Papa. How is it possible to be the king of the universe and to be Papa? Do you know him as Abba? Do you know him as Papa? Do you know him as just like a crawled in my granddaddy's lap when I was a little kid and I just felt like I was just totally accepted, totally loved. Do you see yourself that way in his eyes? Because that's who you are to him. I love this scripture in Psalm 68, verse 5. It says, God is a father to the fatherless. A defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. I want us to just look at this for just a minute. He's a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. In other words, he's close, he's intimate, he's personal. But it says in his holy dwelling. He's separate, he's different, but he's chosen to come close. And he's both and. Let that just blow your mind for a minute. A God who is by nature holy is a God who is simultaneously Abba. And he loves you so much. I shared this two weeks ago about my encounter with the Father's love in Nashville, Tennessee. Who was here for that? You remember that? I won't tell it again. I just, I had a powerful encounter with the love of the Father. And it really marked my life from that point on. But before that and after that, my life has been smattered with moments in Scripture, moments in the Word with Him, moments in worship with Him, moments in the woods with Him, fishing or whatever, where, where there's just this little thing in my mind and my heart just opens up more to who He really is in my life as a father. And over time, my, my orphanhood was being chipped away. 
We're all born spiritual orphans. There is this thing that sin does and it brings shame and it, and it taints our hearts and how God has uh, created us to know him. And what happens when we, when we sin is that shame covering comes on. And we're just like Adam and Eve in the, in the garden, we try to cover ourselves. And, and they, we hide from God because we don't realize that he has, he's actually wanting to redeem us and pull us close. He's not, he's not out to punish us because of what we've done. He actually made a way for us to come back. And, and so my whole life, I live in shame. And I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't know if I want to go that far. I don't want to, I don't know. I feel like I just need to kind of keep a distance between me and God. And encounter after encounter, truth after truth, God began to chip away at my life and chip away at the orphan spirit in my life and show me who I really was. I've heard it put this way. When Adam was formed in the garden, he was face to face with God. It says, God, breathe. He breathed his breath into Adam's nostrils. In other words, when Adam's eyes opened, he was face to face with his father. And when he looked in the father's eyes, what he experienced was unconditional, complete acceptance and love from his father. The first thing he saw was the father's eyes. Have you seen your reflection in the father's eyes? It'll change you. You, you don't have your identity until you know what the father thinks about you. Until you've heard his voice. When Jesus was baptized in the Jordan, he came up, the dove descended. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Have you heard the father say over you, that's my boy and I'm proud of him. That's my girl. I love you so much. Why don't you do this? Maybe this afternoon, if you're struggling with this, take a little journal and write, God, what, are you, what would you say about me? And write down what comes to mind. Look through scripture. What are the promises about what he says about you? Start believing them. Start memorizing them. Start putting them on your mirror. Because I'm going to tell you this, everything in the world is trying to get you to believe otherwise. Why you look in the mirror in the first place and are disgusted is because you don't know how God sees you. You've had things spoken over you that are not true. Even what things your mommy and daddy said, mom and daddy said to you is not right about who you are. The, the one thing that defines us is what he says. We got to believe it. All right. I, I don't have much time. <laughs> Y'all hungry. I can tell. All right. So maybe just to take a litmus. Y'all like, like a, a test? Just to kind of like, where am I at in this thing? I, I think this is really helpful. Traits that contrast our orphanhood from our sonship. So do I really believe that I'm a son or daughter of the father, or am I walking as an orphan who thinks I'm separated and I have to fight for everything to get it? This is, this is the difference. Number one, the orphan spirit operates out of insecurity and jealousy. Insecurity, are you insecure? Are you jealous? Do you feel like you have to fight everybody to get your way? Do you have to feel like you have to fight your way and it's all up to you to be successful? It's all up to you. You may not be walking in your identity. The orphan spirit operates out of insecurity and jealousy. The spirit of sonship functions out of love and acceptance. 
Do you believe that you're fully accepted as you are, not as you should be? Now, religion's talking to some of us and says, now, wait a minute. Now, what I'm saying is not giving us a, a, a pass to live however we want to. But what you need to realize is that God accepts you where you are, not where you should be. And you'll never walk out into where you should be until you believe that. There's a great book by Brennan Manning. I think it's sitting on the bookshelf out there. It's called Abba's Child. If you've not read that book, it will change the way you see yourself. Plug. All right. The orphan spirit serves God to earn the Father's love. How many has been there? Well, I just need to pray more. I talked to somebody this week. I need to read my Bible more. I need to pray more. And she said, I finally realized I'm just spinning my wheels on the treadmill of performance. And until I finally realized my identity in him, that's all I was ever going to do, spinning my wheels. And I fail, and then I feel shame. And then I fail, and I feel shame, and I try harder. And I'm thinking, I want to please him, and he's not happy with me. How miserable of life is that? And the reality is a lot of us live it every day of our lives. You need to believe who you are in Christ, that he's accepted you, that he loves you, and that you align your life to that truth. Yeah. All right. Orphan Spirit tries to medicate internal alienation through comfort and entertainment and all that stuff. I have a bad day. I think ice cream's going to fix it. I mean, I'm just honest with you. And God gives us good gifts like that, right? That's not a, that's not a terrible thing. But sons and daughters know where their comfort is. Why do you think that sin leads you down a road to des that destroys you? You're just seeking something to cope with the pain. You're just seeking after something to put a Band-Aid on what's wrong. And the father said, if you come to me, I'll heal you from the inside out. I'm where your true comfort is. That's one of his names, comforter of the Holy Spirit. The orphan spirit is driven by the need for success. The spirit leads the mature son and daughter into his calling and mission. Am I more concerned about making it or am I more concerned about mission? Not what, what, not what I'm after, but what have he put me here for? And here's a secret. You might not be the richest person in the world if you follow God's mission and do what he's called you to do, but you'll be the most happy and fulfilled. Even when things ain't going right in your life. If you're on mission with God, there's just a grace that comes in your life. And it's different from striving and trying to get things done without him. The orphan spirit uses people as objects to fulfill their goals. Mature sons and daughters serve people and build the kingdom. The orphan spirit has a lack of self-esteem. The spirit of sonship walks in the love and acceptance of Father God. And can I tell you something? Sometimes we do this false humility thing. And we think that confidence is... We can, we can look at it two ways. We think, well, I got to be confident... So I can just bulldoze through life. And then the other side of the coin is confidence is of the world and of the devil. But there's a godly confidence 
that comes when I'm not, I don't base my confidence on myself and my ability, but I'm actually based it on his faithfulness and his power in my life. And that's the best kind of confidence because it's unwavering because your foundation is unwavering. If I'm trying to be confident when I don't get that deal that I was working for, my confidence bottoms out. And my identity, I don't know who I am. I lose a job. I don't know who I am anymore. Why? Because we didn't base our life on the solid rock. We didn't build our house on a firm foundation. It was built on sand. And when the winds came and when the rains came, it was washed away. And I just feel like today the Lord is reminding some of us that, man, we've built our houses on shifting sands. And it's time to come back to who is God? Who is God? He's somebody I can lean on. He's somebody I can depend on because he never changes. I build my life on this kind of God. So do you know him as father? Are you living as a son? Are you living as a daughter? Or are you living with this orphan mindset? The Lord wants to break that off for you today. He wants to break that off. He wants to heal that in us. And I love this. I quoted a while ago, John chapter 1, verse 1. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. If you want to know what he's really like, look no further than Jesus. And then Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the love of God. While you were still in your sin, still in your rebellion, still jacked up, God loved you. Enough to die for you, to send his son, to carry every single sin, every single wrong on himself so that you could go free. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Why? Because I'm a demonstration of the love that's coming after you. God's after some of y'all today. You've never given your heart and your life to Jesus, and he's calling you right now. And I'm going to ask you to do something bold. If that's you in this room and you say, I've never given my heart and life to Jesus, but I want that kind of love. Would you stand to your feet with everybody looking and staring you down? <laughs> Is that anybody in this room? Come on, be brave. It's like, I want that. I've never heard the gospel like this before, and I want that. Well, even if you don't stand up, he still loves you. If you're watching online, Jesus loves you. Come on right here, my man. Dude. I told you this. I told you this six, eight weeks ago. God's pursued you from the moment you were born. You can sit down so it won't be so awkward. God's pursued you from the moment you were born. In the last, I don't know, several months of your life, he's running hard after you. And you know it. He loves you, man. Jesus did everything, everything for you. It's not a works thing. Don't get tricked by church. It's not works. It's grace. You say yes to Jesus and follow him all the days of your life. All right. Somebody got a new brother. Somebody got a new brother. And so I want you to come talk to me after service, okay? How about that's some courage? 
Anybody else? Just takes one. He leaves the 99 for one. Why? Why would he do that? That's who he is. If you have any doubt, that's who your God is. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for grace that covers everything. We thank you for mercy that covers everything. We thank you for the demonstration of love that you showed us on the cross. Thank you for the way forward. Lord, we pray right now in this room for every one of us that feels weighed down by shame, that feels like we're an orphan just fighting and fighting and running on the treadmill of performance. Lord, I ask for just a supernatural grace for us today to understand that you are a loving Father that is full of love and full of acceptance. And you look at us and you say, just come to me, all who are weary, all who've been running on the treadmill, and I'll give you rest. And if, if that's you today, just walk toward him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Community leaders, if you are in the room, would you come on up, receive people for ministry? If you would stand and... Uh, you guys are dismissed, but if you want to get some ministry and prayer this morning, some of our community leaders will be up here. Please come come get prayer. Praise God. He's good. Y'all have a good week. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information, visit thedwellingchurch.org.